Is that wrong? I did. See, it was me. It wasn't you at all, Josh. It was me. I, I t- pushed it the wrong way. That's what you do when you give somebody from Arkansas electronics we've never seen before. So it's great to see you. Everybody doing well? Good, good. Okay, start all over. I'm going to walk up so I get this right, right out. Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you doing well. All right, yeah, good, good, good. Well, if you have your Bibles, don't you turn with me today to uh, Daniel chapter number six. I'm going to go back to five, too, but Daniel six, we're concluding this series on the Daniel dilemma. And, uh, and I hope this has been of help to you. This is one of those series that I think has uh, what I call a lot of shoe leather application. It's a Monday through Friday. This is where you're living, working uh, kind of a deal. And so, again, all these services and these messages are online. You can go to lifechurchwi.com and grab those, uh, and they're free. They're just there for you and to help you. Um, but we've been walking through this series, and basically the essence of it is how do we live for God in a very ungodly world? How do you, um, how do you serve well and love well in a, in a world that doesn't always um, resonate with your values? How do you keep your values in context of all of that? And so week one, we talked about how culture will try to change your identity. Uh, week two, we talked about how culture will try to change your standards. Uh, last week I talked about how culture will always create a conflict. And again, this isn't just biblical, although we showed you where that's at in the book of Daniel. But this is, um, this is just kind of human psychology and how things work. Anytime there is a change or a cultural change or shift, there, there's constant movement, constant trying to get you to change, get you to onboard. Like even with technology, uh, I'm not necessarily an early adapter to technology unless I feel like it's a tool that really helps me. So I, I'm pretty spot on with most things. But like when I go to the doctor's office, they want me to get a username and an identity and blah, 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 blah. I just want to call the doctor's office. I'm sick. Get me in. I don't want to log on. I don't want to look at my medical history. I don't want to know anything. And so every time after a visit, they send me this. This should really help. This should really be there. Mr. Cole, do you know that you owe $6.35? We really can't see you till you pay that $6.35. Really? And, but but if, you, if you logged on, you would know this, Mr. Cole. And so... I have, don't tell anybody, but I have, like, refused to, like, go into the whole technology thing when it comes to the doctor visit. If you're in the medical field, I'm sorry. I just, it's not that I really do that with everything, but this one thing, like, they're just trying to, again, they're trying to change my identity. They're trying to change me, whatever you want to say. But I'm trying to say anytime there's cultural changes, that there are these, these, these issues. In a spiritual sense, this is really what we're looking at in this series, that there is a real spiritual agenda when culture begins to change all throughout history, to change your identity, to change your standards, and it will always create a conflict. And so today I want to end with this series on how do we show the love of God? How do we, how do we show the love of God without accepting other people's belief system? Because the world would say, well, just accept everybody. And I believe we should just accept people where they are. But but the problem is, is that there is this ideology in the world in which we live in today that basically says, hey, you know what, um, all roads lead to God. And again, I didn't write the book, but the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the only way to God the Father. I'm not trying to preach a stump message. I'm just saying this is what it says. And so I'm a Christ follower. I believe the Bible. I've got to believe that. I can't take scissors to it. I can't cut out the parts of the Bible that I don't like. And um, the Bible talks how I'm supposed to live for God and serve God, but how I'm supposed to live well with other people. But sometimes the, the world would say, well, just, just let everybody do what they want to do. 
Well, the problem with that is, is that people then do what's right in their own eyes, and sin comes in rampantly in our society. And we see that historically even in Scripture, in the days of Noah, in the days of Abraham and Lot, in the days of, of Moses. They, they did what was right in their own eyes. We, we see this. We see the history of Israel back and forth in this deal. So how do I serve God and love him passionately without violating the principles of God's word and at the same time just don't live like a hermit somewhere or, or, or like live in some commune, which we're not doing. And um, I love you, but we don't want to live that close together, amen? And, um, and, or, or do a deal where we're just so oppressive to people that don't see things our way that we literally can't work around other people. Because I don't think that's right either. I don't think that you and I are the judge. I don't. I don't think the church is the judge. It's not what the Bible says. God's the judge. And we just sang that song, he's our judge and he's our defender, which is an interesting statement, a powerful statement. But it's him, not us. But we're still called to this standard. So how do we live this out without trying to just basically throw it in everybody else's face? And I think it boils down to how do you love well? We touched on this last week, that everything Paul says that we're to do, we're to do in love. And... Um, how does that look like? Why is it important? What, what does it matter? So Daniel chapter 6, we're going to start right there in verse number 1. And, and we're gonna, I'm going to show you how you can live for God in a world that may be completely opposite to your value system. How you can not be offensive to someone and how you live. And at the same time, not just water down what you believe and just, and just allow everything that everybody else is doing. That's okay, that's okay, that's okay, that's great. Because it's not. And again, you didn't, you know, you're not God, I'm not God. How do we walk this out? So Daniel chapter 6, if you have it, it's going to be on the screen as well. Starting in verse number 1, we're going to read these first five verses. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, three administrators over them, and one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Daniel was so distinguished, he so distinguished himself among the other administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this time, the administrators and satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs. They were unable to do so because they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men says, we will never uh, find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel. So we see this this picture of who Daniel is. And you've got to stop and think just for a second. History confirms all of this. That what's happened between the end of chapter 5, and I'm going to go back to that in a minute, and chapter 6 is that King Darius of the Persians, they overtake Babylon as the number one superpower in the world. So Babylon, modern-day Iraq, if you read history, or you take you know, uh, uh, Western Civilization 101 at any state university or college, what you'll find is it was what they called the impregnable city. There was no way to destroy or to bring down Babylon. It was the number one superpower in the world. But the Medes and the Persians come in through the aqueduct system into the city, and they come into the inside of it, almost not Trojan horse, because that would have been them allowing them in, but they come in through these basically through the waterways, through the sewage system, if you would, they come into those cities, to, to, into the city, and they destroy it from the inside out. And history records that they decimate the, the, the leadership, as they would have, of, of the Babylonians. So now, Daniel, who's, who is in his 70s at this point in time, he has been under the leadership of the Babylonians for his entire adult life. So he's a late teen 
uh, as, a, uh, as a young man in Israel where Babylon comes in and overtakes, and he works for the Babylonian Empire the entire time. Whole new regime, King Darius, king of the Medes, comes in and overtakes this city and overtakes Babylon in doing so and becomes the number one superpower of the world, and he is establishing his government. That's what's talking about in chapter 6. So Daniel has to once again prove himself again through an entire vetting system uh, with, with, with a brand-new regime and a brand-new government. And so, but what happens is cream always rises to the top, and he just goes right to the top of it. And the Bible uses this word exceptional because of his exceptional qualities. If you have a different version, I like the, the I think it's the NIV or the ESV that uses it this way. It's because of his excellent spirit. It's the only adjective. He's the only person in Scripture that's given the adjective of excellent or exceptional of any person that's ever commented on in Scripture. There is this, this excellence. So think about marketplace, Monday through Friday, your business, you're a working professional. Think of when you hear somebody write a book on excellence. You go to Barnes & Noble or Amazon, you pull a book off the shelf on excellence. I think Marshall Goldsmith is probably one of the leading uh, uh, public um, business speakers on the, on the subject, of, subject of, of excellence. You'll find or what Jim Collins would do in research on good to great or too great to fail. And they'll talk about this value of excellence. When you think of that in that non-spiritual context, that's the adjective that's used to describe Daniel. He just keeps rising. He just keeps going. He just keeps. And he was passionately, uh, as, as we'll find out, passionately uh, in love with Jesus. I mean, in love with God and serving God and following him. And people kind of hated him all the more because there was no corruption in him. There was nothing to take him down. And they tried to, which is typical. The bird at the top of the tree is the easiest one to shoot because there's less foliage. Just a thought. And so they keep trying to bring him down, but they can't because, as they said, there are no, we will find no basis of any charges against this man. How does he do this? Now, I just want to give you a couple keys to some, some observations that if you look at, at, at this passage. First of all, he serves them. It's just real simple. You're taking notes. Just serve them. This isn't fancy, but it, it really works. He serves them. Chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, it pleased Darius to appoint these 120 satraps to rule over the kingdom and three administrators to rule over them, one of whom was Daniel. So he's one of three under the king. And the satraps were made accountable to them so that the king may not suffer loss. Daniel worked so hard. He worked hard under the Babylonian regime. He's now going to work hard under the Medes and the Persians. These are not his people. This is not what he planned on doing. He's technically a slave, but he continues to work hard. He works so hard that he's promoted one of three over the entire nation. And just stop for a minute because we read this and we kind of go, yeah, 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 right. He had a great government career. No. Would you do well if you were working for a group of people? that had overthrown the United States, completely stripped us of all of our rights, and all of a sudden now we are no longer a republic. We are now an own entity of another nation in the world. And you have to serve their interests, which is, di which is diametrically opposed to yours. And, and, and over and over and over again, you and all of the people from your nation are constantly having to fight for your right just to have a monotheistic, a one-God religion. No, a lot of us would get mad, a lot of us would, would take up arms, a lot of us would, 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 he doesn't. He just goes, okay, I don't have any control of this, but God's in control. I, 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 don't, I don't get to, to, to write all this, but, 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 but God does. So this is where he's placed me, so I'm just going to serve. 
And I'm not just going to serve and show up. I'm going to serve hard. I'm going to work hard because I'm going to do it as unto the Lord. Because I got this figured. God knows what he's doing. He knows where I am. I know the promises of his word. He's not a man that he would lie. His word is yes and amen. So I'm just going to trust that he knows that I'm in this job. I'm just going to trust that he knows that I'm in this situation. I'm going to trust that he knows that this is where I'm at. That's what he does. That's not easy to do. Fast forward that to our lives. So we live in a very free world where you basically can do what you want to do and be what you want to be and, and, and all of that. And, and we work in systems and in places where we're compensated some better than others. Maybe we feel like we're more valued than or we're more valuable than what we're paid, whatever. How do you serve? Do you serve well? Do you serve the people in which you are under their leadership? That's what Daniel did. He worked hard. And he serves in every single situation. This is kind of what sets him apart. Is he a part of, of King Nebuchadnezzar's vision? No. He was an oppressor to his people. Was he, was he part of, of King Darius' now vision? No. He's, he's going to Darius will be the one that will throw him in the lion's den. That's what we'll read later on. This is the guy that puts him in the lion's den. Did you understand? I mean, how, 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 I mean you, you know, you're talking about somebody that's got, been done wrong. I mean, Daniel is there. But, but he's not following the king. He's following God. This is important to understand. As followers of Jesus Christ and, and as followers of God and people of God's word, we are called to the word to serve the people that we're under. Paul will go on to say, even if you're in a master-slave situation, serve your, serve your master well. He's not promoting slavery. He's saying in the world in which they were living in, this was a, this was a reality. Therefore, because this is a reality, be so in love with Jesus, so vested in his word, so standing on his word, that when people look at you, they see the same exceptional, excellent spirit and quality in how you do, that God then will begin to promote you, that God then will begin to, to do that in your life. And so in every single situation, he serves Secondly, Daniel sets an example for, for those that are around him. Daniel constantly, he's a pace setter. He's setting the example. Look at three, verse 3 and 4. Daniel was so distinguished and so distinguished himself among the other administrators and the satraps. These are the top of the top of the top by his exceptional or his excellent qualities that the king planned to set him over the entire kingdom. It's just an amazing thought to me. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds and charges against Daniel and, and, and his conduct of government affairs, but there was, they were unable to do so because they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Just think about that phrase. He's in government work, and they can find no corruption in him. Ooh, don't shut me down when I'm preaching good. Do you understand how difficult that is? I mean, we live in a free society. The people that work in our government choose to work there. And many of them pay a lot of money getting elected to be in those positions. And they have a difficult time. Our society has a difficult time. Let's just use a personal pronoun. We have a difficult time. They can't find any place where he's wrongly filed his taxes. They can't find any place where he hasn't made an account. They haven't found any indiscretion in his expense report. Come on, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. He, he, he didn't go to Chick-fil-A and get a milkshake and put it on the company. Those are good milkshakes if you haven't had them, by the way. 
I know shamrock shakes are kind of hot right now, but I'm just telling you, once this, this St. Patrick's Day thing is over, just go over to, okay, I digress. But I'm just saying, he doesn't do any of this. He, they can't find anything. And it's not that they're not looking, they're all digging because they want to take him down because they can't stand him because he's in their way of success. Those 120 satraps that are below him, if they can knock him off, one of them get to go to his position. And the other two administrators don't think that they don't know that Daniel's the favored one of Darius between them. So, so you have this interesting dynamic that's going on, yet they could find no, nothing, no there was no lack of integrity. Why? Because he set an example. He was a pace setter. And he set an example on how he served. He didn't set an example in telling everybody they were wrong and he was right. He didn't set an example by witnessing to everybody about his God and telling them they were all going to hell. He, don't shout me down. He, he didn't set, set an example by how many, how many invite cards he gave out, although you should do that for Easter, I'm just telling you. He set an example by what? His service. By the way he did his job. By the way he operated with integrity in a system and in a society that did not really value integrity. Historically, look at it. I mean, just, just from a historical standpoint, corruption and government is not a new thing. All the way back prior to Daniel's day, all the way through to the 21st century. Yet he operates with such integrity that he sets this example. He's trustworthy. He's honest. I mean, think about this. Parents, I'm going to go right here for a minute. You know exactly where I'm going. What kind of example do you set with your kids? Is it do as I do or do as I say? Employees, workers, those of us that have gainful employment and we answer to somebody. How many of us set an example among the people in whom we're working for and around that we set an example, that we show up early and on time, that, we, that, that we'll stay late if need be, that we're, we're just thankful to have a job. You ever been in, in business where you just like, you know, is this, is this too much for you? Like you, maybe somebody else needs to do this job, right? You know, like you're, you're, you're going in, you're a customer, and you're just thinking, man, they hate life and hate everything. It must really be bad to work here and, you know, whatever. How many of you that own companies Set an example in such a way that you lead first. I'm not saying you don't have some freedoms. I'm saying, but you lead first. That you're not asking anything out of the people that work with you and for you that you don't give and that you're not first to be there. Students, how many of you set an example with your classmates, with your peers? In the classroom? Or are you constantly pushing against the system? Pushing against the, the people that are around you? When, when the coach asks you to, when the teacher's asking, when the, when the principal, I mean, like, does the principal know you on a first name basis? That's what I'm drilling down to, right? That's not a good thing. Um, how do you set that example? Again, we're living in a free society where we get to technically choose the job that we work at, choose the people that we're around and how we live life. And how many times do we find ourselves griping and complaining? And this is a guy that's in a system that's not of his choosing. Quite frankly, he was poised to be prime minister of Israel. 
at this level? I mean, think of all the people in the Bible. The only person in Scripture that the adjective excellent, exceptional is given to is Daniel. That's it. And I believe in chapter number 6, it's given to him three different times. Anytime you see three in Scripture, there's a repetitiveness that wants to highlight and underscore the value of what you're seeing. So he sets himself apart in the way in which he serves. And all of this comes together because when you serve people and you set an example for them, then God will give you an opportunity to basically, what I say, share the truth with them. He'll give you an opportunity to share the truth. See, you have to earn the right to speak truth into people's lives. I had a, someone not from here, a friend out of state, call me uh, this week and was telling me something that happened. And, and, and he wanted to address the issue. And I just said, did that person ask you to address the issue? And he said, no, but I'm going to tell him what I think because what I think is right. And, da, 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 da. and I said, unsolicited advice is typically unheeded advice. You have to earn the right to speak into people's lives. You have to earn the right to be able to share that truth. You, you, you don't just bust in there and do that. Live your life in such a way that builds so much moral authority that they begin to ask of you. And then the Bible says, when they ask of you the hope of Jesus Christ in you, the truth of what God's done in your life then you're able to be prepared at that moment to share with them. So be prepared, but let them ask of you. Again, it's like the, I told, talked about in week one, the week one, the woman who is yelling at Mitchell International on Friday night coming off of a flight that we're all dying and going to hell. And, and she's pointing her finger at me. And do you know, sir, without Jesus, you're going to hell. And I'm just like, yes, ma'am, I do. Pray for me. And I just kept walking. And, and, and because I'm just like, lady, do you actually think any of these people that are basically coming off this business flight. We've all gone through Atlanta. I think you have to go to Atlanta to get to heaven. I don't know, but that's part of it. It just feels like everything. And, and so it's like we're, we're just tired. We just want to go home, see our families. He's, a lot of these guys and gals have been working all week long, and we've been in this airplane, and just and you're yelling at us. That's what I wanted to stop and say. Do you really think that you're moving the needle at all? No, because she has no moral authority, because she has no relationship, because they, we don't know who she is. And sometimes we have a tendency to want to walk in and just go, well, I just want to share the truth. I'm just going to tell the truth. Well, that's great. But you better make sure that you have a relationship to be able to do that. You have a relationship in which to do it. And when you live your life in such a way that the boss begins to compliment you on your exceptional and excellent activity and abilities, and the people that work with you the same, and you've proven yourself, then they begin to ask you, what's different about you? How do you get here? What, you seem to have a peace in the midst of storms. You, 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 you seem to be a steady eddy. You, you, you seem to have this joy. You seem happy and content. And it's not that life is perfect, but there's just something. What is that something? And they open the door because they want to know. That's exactly what Daniel does. I want you to go back to chapter 5 because this is happening preceding to Darius coming in. And all of this is, is, is you, you find this biblical. I mean, you find this historically that this happens this way. But biblically, they're going to give the account of the fall of, of the Babylonian Empire. And, uh, but there is an opportunity where because of Daniel's giftedness and his excellence that he is summoned and asked to utilize that ability. And in that moment, he's able to declare for the first time since he's been captive. This is the second time he'll be able to do this. But, but actually, because he got to do it one other time, and he'll mention it. 
but to be able to share the truth of who God is. Daniel chapter 5, verse 1, King Belshazzar, this is the son of Nebuchadnezzar, had a great banquet for thousands of his nobles, and they drank wine with them. So they're getting drunk and blitzed and the whole deal. Verse 2, while Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and the silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple of Jerusalem. These would have been holy items that would have been used in the temple. This is big-time stuff. So the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. So it's a complete desecration of, 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 the, of the house of God. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles and his wives and the concubines, they drank from them. As they drank wine, they praised the gods, lowercase g, of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stones. So this is complete debauchery. It's complete. What they're not saying here is that this is a straight-up orgy in most situations because of this was another one of the ways that they would appease the gods and so forth and so on. So this is just craziness that's going on. Now think about that going on. Verse 5, then suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall. So they think we're drunk or we've smoked some wacky weed or something's happened and therefore this is what's going on, but this is really actually happening. Here the lampstand in the royal palace and the king watched the hand as it wrote. Verse 6, and his face turned pale and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. A total sober moment. Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar's son, Belshazzar, still in this big party, and this is all that's going on. And, and they began to write. But the writing was not in Babylonian script. It wasn't in their language, and he didn't understand. So he begins to call in immediately, calls the party off, begins to call in every person that they had in the kingdom, had them look at the wall, look at the writing on the wall. What's it saying? What does it mean? He brings the nobles in. Nobody can read it. He brings in every wizard, every witch, every warlock. I mean, it's all there. He brings in everybody he can to all the scribes, all the people, anything, any, anybody, anything, any, any, any priest of any of these lowercase gods, they all come in. Nobody has answers. Finally, his wife hears the commotion. I'm just kind of summarizing here. And she, she uh, uh, looks at the king. <laughs> She's about to pass out. And she reminds him of a guy who works in the government that was close to his father as an advisor. And his name was Daniel. And that he could actually interpret dreams, that he had a connection to God. Because if you read uh, beyond chapter 6, you begin to read chapter 7 and following, you'll see basically uh, a prophetic vision that Daniel has of the end times. And we still don't know all the ins and outs of that. Um, to, un to unpack that is a lot of we just don't know, we don't know, we don't know. He's explaining what he's seeing. So Daniel has this spiritual gift that God's given him in that way. And, uh, and so he was excellent of spirit, and so she comments on that and to bring him. And so they summons for him. Look at verse 13 of Daniel chapter 5. So Daniel was brought then before the king, this is Belshazzar, and the king said to him, Are you, Daniel, one of the exiles, he's speaking of these Jewish boys, my father and the king brought from Judah? For I've heard the spirit of the gods, again, he's not a, he doesn't follow Jehovah God, is in you, and that you have insight and intelligence and outstanding wisdom. Then Daniel begins to read the writing on the wall. Daniel, before he does this, though, if you, read, if you read on, I'm just kind of summarizing some of these for the sake of time. He tells the king, hey, I had the same conversation about Shazar with your dad, with Nebuchadnezzar. And he didn't obey God. And because he didn't, God humbled him. We talked about this. This was discussed in week two when Greg Washington was with us. 
And he was cast out of the kingdom. And, and, and history records this. He was cast out of the kingdom like a wild animal for seven years. Just a complete craze. Until he recognized that God was in control of all. And then God brought him to his right mind. But you, the king, Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself. And even though you knew better, even though you saw this in your father, even though you saw this change in your father, you chose to worship other gods, lowercase g. You chose now to desecrate the temple of the house of God, the only one true living God. And now your life is being held in his hands. And I'm going to tell you, Daniel says, what the writing on the, on the wall is. Because it was written in Hebrew. Interesting how God just says, I'm going to write this in the language of my people. Verse 26, here's what these words mean. God's numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. You're talking about mic drop, whoa. Verse 27, you've been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Your kingdom is divided and will be given to the Medes and the Persians. And history records that night, that's exactly what happens. Then, then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck. He was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. And that very night, Belshazzar, the king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. I'm saying that when we live our lives unto God for the audience of one, and we operate with excellence and an excellent spirit and a work ethic that's, that's consistent with what God's word asks, whether we are like slaves to a master or whether we feel like we have the world by the tail and we are free and we're the master of our own destiny. Wherever you feel that you're at, you're in a dead-end job, you, you know, you owe, you owe, so off to work you go, or you're in a place where, where you feel like you've got the world by the tail, anywhere on that continuum. If you operate and you live your life in such a way that you honor God with the actions of your life, by serving other people, by setting the example, by doing what's asked of you, even in very non-spiritual things. Again, working in the government under a pagan king was a very non-spiritual activity. But he never violated his principles, his belief, and what God asked of him to do. Therefore, God blessed him and exalted him and in every situation. And so now he's brought in where there's a supernatural moment that takes place. And this is sometimes where we check out on this because we just kind of go, well, yeah, there's this hand on the wall. That's the Bible part of it and blah, 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 blah. I'm just telling you, if you really sit down and begin to talk to people who are what I would call power brokers, and I haven't talked to very many of them, but what's interesting to me is that every once in a while, they'll disclose a certain amount of information that lets you know there's been a God moment. There's been a supernatural occurrence that they don't understand. And they began to look and ask questions. And as they go kind of through the food chain, eventually they find themselves asking and inquiring of a man or a woman of God who truly serves God. And God begins to work through that individual in order to be able to, to, to communicate. I could tell you of people that I know of, I've got a uh, 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 let's just say it this way, someone that everybody in this room would know that contacted a friend of mine who I went to Bible college with and asked him, would he come to his home and simply have a conversation because this thing, occurrence, happened in such a way that he cannot reconcile it. And he, he had been connected with this friend of mine in another, another way. And uh, 
I mean, just amazing. Like you're going, that's a God thing. Yeah. But nobody puts that in print because you don't tell anybody that stuff. You don't communicate that to anybody else. It's a, it's, and what I'm trying to say to you is that there are places where you go, man, my king, my, my, king, my, 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 uh, my boss is so lost, man. He's such a hell raiser. He doesn't serve God. He doesn't. You don't know what God will do. You don't know if you raise him, wakes him up in the middle of the night, and all of a sudden he has this crazy dream, or there's this crisis, or there's this thing that happens, or this supernatural type occurrence that happens. And then all of a sudden he's looking for answers, and he remembers... He doesn't know any pastors. He doesn't know any preachers. He doesn't know anybody like this. And he asks his drinking buddies, and they don't have answers for him. He asks the bartender, and the bartender doesn't have, have answers for him. He talks to his shrink, and his shrink doesn't have answers for him. He talks to everybody, and nobody has answers for him. And he sees you, and somebody says, yeah, that guy goes to church, and he loves God, and he does this, and he brings you in and says, hey, this is going on. Can you explain this? And all of a sudden, boom, in that moment, the Holy Spirit gives you what you need. Because according to John chapter 15, when you come into faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit fills you. What's the Holy Spirit? The same power that raised Christ from the dead, that's pretty powerful, now dwells inside of you. And he's there in that moment to give you the word to be able to say when you don't know what else to say. And then God, not because you preached to somebody or because you were holier than thou or because you had a Christian bumper sticker or a fish on the back of your car, none of that, but because of the way that you work in your industry and in your trade and what you do, God opens a door for you. That person comes in and says, I've been watching. Can you talk to me? I get calls from time to time from people in the community at large that I've met, that I've interacted with, and they just say, can I have a moment of your time? I was at a dinner a few, a few months ago, and I'm sitting there, and I had no control over where I was seated. seated and every, we all knew who was going to be in this room. And so I'm seated in this room, and I'm seated next to a congressman. And he said, I'm so glad we're sitting next to each other. I read your bio. I've been looking at some of your sermons, and I've got some questions. I want to know some things. This is a United States congressman. How do I get seated next to him in this? And for the next 45 minutes, it's like boom, 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 boom. It's like butter on a hot plate, baby. It's just on. I didn't prepare for it. Thank God I didn't know about it because I'd have been wigged out. And I'm unable to. You just don't know. But God begins to put you in places of influence because he can trust you. And because people have observed your life. It's all about serving others. And when you serve others, God opens opportunities. God opens doors in such a way to be able to change in powerful places. The opportunity for Daniel to speak the truth came because he served other people for years and served them well. And our service to others, again, it all goes back to what Paul talks about with love. I just want to remind you of this. We're not doing this because we're right and they're wrong. We're not doing this because we've got the corner market on truth and eternity. We're not doing this to kind of one-up anybody. We're not doing this to divide the world in which we live in from the people that have Jesus and the people that don't. No, that will happen at the judgment seat of Christ. Today, we're to serve. Today, we're to love. Today, we're to be the people with excellent spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that love chapter, if you think about this. Without love, verse 1 says, we're just making noise. If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but I do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. That's what motivates me. That's what motivates you. That's what motivates us to live our life in such a way that we point to Jesus. Without love, our knowledge doesn't matter, the Bible says. 
Look at verse number 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I'm nothing. How many churches have I been in and been around and Christians who they want to sit around and prophesy to one another and speak in tongues with one another and they want to have their holy huddle, but to hell with the world that they live in. The Bible says, not my words, Paul says, you can do that all day long, all your spiritual activity, but if you don't love people, it's worthless. It's meaningless. It doesn't matter how many degrees you have, and and it doesn't matter how astute you are. It doesn't matter your pedigree. Your, Your knowledge doesn't matter unless you have love. And without love, he tells us that we won't accomplish anything. Verse 3 says, if I give all my possessions to the poor and I give my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. So as we end this series, speaking to those of you that have a relationship with Jesus Christ, are you intentionally serving well? Whether you're a clerk at Speedway whether you work in the, in the C-suite in some Fortune 500 company, whether you own your own business or you work so low down the food chain, you're not even on an org chart. Do whatever you do, do you do that in such a way that you serve with excellence and with distinction? Are you serving other people in love? You can bark at people all day long, like the lady at the airport that's just telling everybody they're going to hell. And she may be right, and she is right that without Jesus we're going to hell. But does it change anybody? No, because there's no love in it. It's not the judgment of God that I'm attracted to. It's his kindness. It's the fact that I understand how jacked up I am and how messed up I am and how that by the grace of God I wouldn't be standing on this platform, that it humbles me and it breaks me and it reduces me down. To know that God will not add more on me than what I can handle. That he will love me, even in my sin, even in my struggle. And when the enemy tries to come in to destroy me, that he's got a plan to develop me and to bless me and to help me. Because he loves me. Wow. What do I do with that? Is it just like a love fest for Aaron? No. I've been loved so that I can love other people. I've been given grace so I can give grace to other people. How many times in church are we sinners that have been saved by grace, but yet we judge and we judge and we judge? And I'm not saying that sin is, is okay. No, it's not okay. But we're not the judge. Put your gavel down. Just leave it here. <laughs> and, and just love people. What happens if they ask me? Just go back to here's what God's word says. I, I didn't write this. This is what his word says. But I do know that God loves you and that he has a plan for your life and that he'll help you. Are you living your life in such a way that it points to Jesus? Really, are you leveraging it? Who cares? It's going to be a crazy statement, but I'm going to make it. Who cares how much money you make and you give to the church? Are you leveraging your life for Jesus? The most important thing that you do is taking the influence that he's given you. And don't leverage it to, for me. Don't leverage it for life, church. Are you leveraging it for Jesus? That's what our world needs. And don't forget, man, it's going to take you a long time to become an overnight success. 
Billy Graham died at 99. And if he'd have messed up at 98, somebody said, see, there he is. <laughs> but he didn't. But he was a person just like us. Mistakes just like us. Human just like you and me. I hope that we will learn and that we will operate and not pull back from the world because we don't know what to say and do. And at the same time, don't just try to push our way through because that's easier. That's why we call it the Daniel Dilemma. It's, this isn't easy. It's messy. It's tough. Sometimes we get it wrong. Sometimes we're too gracious. Sometimes we're too judgmental. But if our hearts are right, and we're striving to love people the way God loved us and to serve people the way, the, way, the way we're called to serve, then God will begin to open doors and help us. So we can have a bigger church? No. So more people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Go back to, to be able to give the hope of Jesus that's in you. That's why we're asking you even for Easter, to invite people. Why? Because it's the hope of Jesus that's in you. That's all we want to do that weekend is just give people hope. Not sell them on it. Just give them hope. Let them know there's another way. That's what we're called to do. Love well.